This is Jeff Morton with Returning to Eden, and I am joined with my co-host, Dr. Dina Dye. Hello, Dina. Good morning, Jeff. How are you doing? Doing really good. Uh, actually, I'm doing better than I was because, you know, we've experienced quite a bit of turmoil over the last uh, couple months. Uh, <clears throat> but at the same time, you know, the root of why we do this show is to return to the biblical concepts and construct of what the uh, authors were writing about. And... Uh, <clears throat> You know, as we as we continue doing the show, I mean, we talked about Exodus. We talked about how the New Testament is really a retelling of the Exodus story, and we're going to talk about that again this morning. And I know you got a lot more to add to that, but I kind of wanted to jump in and, and and talk about something that I did earlier this week. I wrote a piece and I put out a little video somewhere where I called um, I, I used the term 501c3 whores, the modern church and uh, servants. To the modern church, and I was I was in a bad frame of mind because, like the government, we don't really have the representation of a biblical structure, and we don't have that in the churches today. And so, the modern church to me is a business entity with the fog machines, the worship machine, or the worship, uh, uh, the orchestra, the music, and all of the different things to keep the doors open every Sunday. But nobody's talking about the biblical story. They're talking about the Christian story, and I think that that's, we've moved so far away from what the writers of the Bible were talking about and why God purposed the nation of Israel to even do this. We don't even talk about that. This is not even part of the conversation anymore. So I, I put this video out just a little while ago called 501c3 Servants, the Modern Church, and in it, you know, I kind of softened my approach a little bit, but what I wanted to kind of point out is how anti-Semitism has influenced the church systems and Christian doctrine over the last 2,000 years and how that's really come now full circle and is hurting us because we are suffering as a people believing in the biblical story. And so, Dean, I'll let you pick it up there. Well, true. And, you know, I think the root uh, of the church, even though the root is the first century, uh, Jewish world is Israel in the first century. Uh, the root of mainline corporate Christianity is the fourth century in Constantine. And of course, there was a giant upheaval between the first century and the fourth century. And with the first century, its root, of course, goes back to the Torah and the Torah of Moshe and obviously back to creation. So that's one of the problems that we have here. I was watching a show the other day, uh, a documentary. You, uh, you're familiar with the term the emerging church. Well, this was called the submerging church, which I thought was pretty unique. So it was talking about this um, con confluence of the emerging church, the seeker-friendly church, the purpose-driven church, you know, the whole Rick Warren thing, and just how closely tied it has become to New Age philosophy, New Age thinking, um, to Islam itself. And Rick Warren has been promoting this concept of world peace. So, I mean, this is a very globalist in its nature, and it looks just like what's happening in the, in the government world, the government structure, the one world order. All of this is coming to bear. And really, the last line of defense in all of this was going to be the church. The church was the last institution, and now it's been in, infiltrated. Now, I'm not talking about every church and every person. I think you all understand right. that. But as Jeff just said, the church has become big business. It is a corporation. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. I don't want to talk about it right this second, but the, what, what's going on in our country in terms of corporations. But again, 
we want to go back to what uh, the three pillars, I believe, for how we walk in our faith. How do we live this out? Our understanding historical patterns, focusing in on biblical principles and enacting those in our life, walking with godly wisdom. I think those three pillars are the key to all of this. Well, I, you know, if we don't have the cultural contact, I'm getting an echo. <laughs> it's my turn. Can you, uh, okay. So we're having some technical issues today. Can you huh? edit this out? Can I'll you edit this out? Yeah. Okay, so going back to what Dana was talking about, the um, you know, one of the things that the church did several years ago, I don't really know when, is they, they adopted the philosophy that had to be separated between church and state. And I beg to differ. I've struggled with this for many, many years. The, the government is supposed to be uh, representative of everything biblical. We were never supposed to bow down to government systems. We were supposed to be the leadership in the government. And like Dean and I have been talking about forever, the temple construct of the ancient world always, always represented the center of government, the center of the community. And so if you wipe out the government, you literally wiped out the community, and we saw that happen a couple of different times with Israel with regard to the destruction of the temple, the government, and the citizenry. So we're kind of repeating history in a way because if we don't have the pillars that God put forth in order for us to have the liberty and the, the, the freedoms and just the attitude of servant service to others, then... It's just a matter of time before a tyrannical leader like Hitler, like Bopat, like Mao, rises up. Only this time, we might be looking at a global tyrant. And yeah. uh, this is uh, the doors opening for that kind of thing to happen, Dina. No question. So the concept of the, the separation of church and state uh, came from around the 70s, where the left, of course, uh, you know, was uh, the leader on that. So the the idea of uh, this wall of separation is not in the Constitution, but was in a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Danbury right. Baptist. And the idea yeah. was that the government has limits on how it can influence the church, that there's a protective wall for the church that the government can't cross. And the idea of the Constitution, of course, was to keep societal order. That is the purpose of government, is to keep societal order and so clearly we know now uh, you know we're we're headed off the rails there's a a quote by uh, Vladimir Lenin that there are um, what is it there are decades in which nothing happens and there are weeks in which decades happen and I would have to say this last week is a week that feels like decades just you know went by and we're just uh, you know, we're, we're in a shocking time, but, you know, one of the things in this podcast, too, we want to give people hope. We want to give you uh, things you can do, like we don't leave you hanging, but we do have to talk about this because we've, we've entered into a very dangerous period. We were talking before the show that, you know, it's not even so much we've entered into a period of socialism and communism. Both we know are bad, etc. But what we've entered into is what we would call corporate fascism. And that is when the corporation is wedded to the state. 
And this, this is exactly what happened in pre-World War II Germany, that Hitler step by step began to, and using economic terrorism and economic warfare against these corporations, forced them under, forced them basically to marry the state. And the people simply couldn't function. And that's exactly where, where we are. They are exercising day by day uh, economic warfare, informational warfare, cyber warfare against us so that we the people can't function. So corporate fascism is extremely dangerous and again we have to talk about you know how are we going to live in this and our as we talked in the first podcast our roadmap is exodus and I know there are many many teachers teaching and and people prayer groups talking about the exodus picture because there's so much in there that points us to where we are today and will help us go through that well you know if we don't if we don't give the scriptures back to the authors and try to understand the context from which their cultures, various cultures throughout biblical timeline, were really representing and talking about, it's virtually impossible to understand the governance of God because the entirety of the Bible is God revealing the instructions to a people about how to govern ourselves according to the way that he set things up. And... Uh, it doesn't matter what point in history you go back to. What throws that into chaos is when we, the people of God, and I mean the people of God, decide that we're going to do things a different way. And unfortunately, Israel is like a microcosm of the successes and the failures of humanity when it comes to understanding the biblical uh, instructions, the Torah, which the Gospels are born of. And so what God has repeatedly done over and over and over again is recreate an environment whereby we could get back to his instructions. This is part and parcel of why Jesus himself came. This is exactly what Moses was all about, and Noah certainly obeyed the Torah. And if we go back and understand it from God's perspective, as opposed to corporations and tyrants and governments that men raise up, then we have hope and we have freedom, and we have liberty, and we have eternity, and we have every promise that God presented to all of the nations to this little tiny country called Israel. Amen. So uh, I uh, taught the Torah study yesterday in our congregation and basically laid out there is a, a pattern, as there always is in Scripture, in which you have creation, decreation, and recreation. And virtually all of our stories and all uh, everything that goes on in the scriptures follows that same pattern. So we start out with creation, and then as uh, Adam was, of course, uh, God's representative in the garden, serving as his kingly representation on earth, as it is in heaven. And then, of course, he violates the covenant, because in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, as we talked about, is a covenant statement a unifying of two domains between king and servants and subjects and the point of any covenant is to produce life so when two parties join together or they're yoked together they don't just do it for something to do it's to produce a new life out of that and one of the things that goes with that of course uh, there's a sealing of the covenant it's e-a-l-i-n-g and part of that sealing is the is the confirmation in a meal so we go through the pattern of creation and then the, the fall in the garden 
and then we're in a state of decreation. And then as we move into the period of Noah, we see what's going on on the earth is just violence and the, the key thing is corruption. So it's not like, you know, there's not just Noah on the earth, folks, okay? There are civilizations functioning. For example, the Sumerian civilization is one of the most important going back to 5,000, 6,000 BCE. Don't know the exact date. And there is something called king, divine kingship that comes down from heaven. So this is functioning on the earth. And so there is a governmental structure on the earth within the ancient Mesopotamian world. They function within city-states. But the, the predominant thing that happens is they go rogue and they become corrupt. So the earth is corrupt. We're in this deep decreation de um, de state and then Noah comes along and what does he do he builds an ark after the pattern of creation so now we're in the process of a recreation and one of the things of course is the, the renewal of the covenant the, the creation covenant in Genesis 1-1 is renewed with the bow in the sky and of course Noah family comes off the ark and they they have a meal right he builds an altar and he has a burnt offering and that's the that burnt offerings for for God and so there's this sealing of the meal and so the whole Exodus story follows the exact same plan they you know they st we we are we've been in a sort of creation pattern we go to the story of, of Abraham he's called out of Ur the place of, of decreation to to the land of Israel God makes a covenant with Abraham doesn't he in Genesis 15 that's a very important covenant it's a restoration of those other two covenants and he cuts the animal and they passes between the halves with the uh, smoking furnace and the, and, the, and the burning torch. And what does he promise? He makes a promise of a royal grant covenant to Abraham that you will inherit the land. However, you and your progeny are going to go down to Egypt for 400 years where you will be slaves. Now, they weren't slaves for the entire time. And they right. went down, you know... I mean, Mo, uh, Joseph was raised up in Egypt, second in command, really big deal. Um, but they do go down to Egypt 400 years. And the, and the thing that I, well, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But now we're, we're going into another decreation situation. And out of that will come a recreation. And again, the key to the recreation is the renewal of the covenant we have in Exodus 12. The Passover meal is the confirmation of that covenant. So I just, uh, without getting into too much detail, the whole story in Egypt is the, the decreation to the recreation. Does that make sense? And, and also, yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. Um, when you talk about Exodus 12, you know, the, the entirety of Exodus 12 is literally announcing Jesus, and that's moving us down the line quite a bit. But everything going on in 12 is talking about an event that would happen whereby there would be this offering made to guarantee the rebirth of the nation of Israel after being dispersed all over the land, going through hellacious anti-Semitism, death, burial, and resurrection for the last 2,000 years, culminating with Hitler. So all of it, all of it is telling the same story over and over and over again. Jesus himself, Yeshua proper, was literally a recreation event a guarantee, an offering. He was everything that temple law represented, and yet we don't understand it from the cultural context by which the writers were talking about it. We 
we somehow morphed into Jesus as the head of the church and the church is part of the government now and blah, 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 blah. It's a complete mess, folks, and we have to get back to Eden. We have to return to what this is all about in the first place. But it's interesting you bring up Exodus 12 because when we talk about Exodus 12 and how get the lamb and after four days kill it and then, you know, there's so much going on there. The backstory is we're going to slaughter the God of Egypt and I want you all to put the blood on your doors so they know you did it. And I want the smoke of their God, Ra, to rise up above before we leave. And so when we put it in context of what God is doing, he's doing then what he's doing now, and we do have that hope. The, the difference is we have to understand the biblical text, not the theological somersaults and exegesis and interpretation and transliterations that have removed us from what they understood. And that's what interesting. Yeah, uh, I was thinking, you know, it, it clearly says 400 years, right, that Abraham, that your progeny would be uh, in Egypt under oppression. And I thought about, you know, six, November uh, 1620, and there's debate on the actual date, of course, is when the Mayflower Compact was signed, which was a covenant between... Yes people and God uh, to, to they're coming to a new land that basically start over but in order to start over it was a, a recreation event that they would submit themselves to the God of the universe and they would live according to his principles and follow his wisdom and so you know obviously we didn't the nation is as itself birthed in uh, 1776 but we have this 400 year period and here we are 2020 at the end of that 400 year period and I would just say in order for us to go forward out of this oppression that's coming we are going to have to restore the covenant between the people and God that's the way out and you know that'll probably happen it'll happen in community individuals and families and communities and and spread out but this this community that will that restores the covenant is the community that's under the radar. You know, this is not the corporate church world. We do not function like that. We do not think like that. Our, we understand our roots don't go there. So the corporate church world is building to join to the, to the, to world empire, to global, uh, to the global globalists. And yet here's this we the people thing. And I just feel, even though, I, We've got some really dark days ahead of us, folks. It's going to be very difficult and very challenging. We do have some solutions to that. But even in the midst of that, you know, there's a birth coming. There's a renewal coming. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. And if you know that it's coming, you know, when the when the birth is coming, you know it's going to hurt. <laughs> but something glorious is going to come forth from that. And I... I'm just standing on that today. You know, it, it's not going to be easy, and there's going to be times that we want to give up. And, uh, you know, we're sure that the children of Israel in there were ready to give up. You know, where is our God? Um, but he sent his, his Savior, Moshe, to deliver them. And I'm trusting in Yeshua, our Savior, to deliver us at the appointed time, and he is going to prepare us to be ready. And I don't know how that's all going to look, but that my trust is in that. 
Well, you know, too, Gina, there's a caveat in all of this that we've got to keep in front of us as well. Because in 1948, the nation of Israel was reborn. I mean, that to me is like a neon sign. After the whole fascistic <clears throat> period of totalitarianism, a nation yes. And it was a horrific time for the people of the earth, and particularly yes. the Jewish people, who yes. were scattered all over Europe. But, but the fact remains that after that death, burial, and resurrection of Hitler, the nation of Israel was born again. And so now we're living in a time when the people of Israel are fighting for the covenant, for the royal grant, for all of the things that most Christians do not comprehend, but the Jews over there fighting for the, for the kibbutzes, fighting for the land, and fighting for the covenant, they understand why they're doing that. It's because of the covenant structure. Now, granted, the world is a mess. It always is at the time, at these kinds of times. Right. But the right. core people you mentioned, both the Christian, and I'm talking about the Christians who are 100% trying to go back and understand the biblical text and want to hear something different and are tired of the same old sermon on Sunday, these are the ones who are going back and trying to understand what the festivals are all about, what the calendar is all about, what the creation story, what the temple is all about. That's happening all over the world, too, folks. And I think it's, I think it's a brilliant thing to say that that's all happening within the Christian. One of the most anti-Semitic groups over the last 1,800 years are starting to ask the question, where did we go wrong? What happened? And they're starting to dig in. There's so many people, Dina, that I know personally that are no longer just listening and accepting the Sunday sermon, but they're doing their own research. They're digging into the context and the structure and the covenant structure and all of the different things that are outlined in the book of Leviticus in order to come to an understanding that they haven't had for 1,800 years. And I absolutely believe that that is the push of God. That is the hand of God saying, return to me so I can show you the way out, so I can walk you through the Reed Sea, so I can resurrect you, so I, I am with you always. It's not just a statement. It is an absolute fact. And I'm just, we have to keep that in front of us because God said I created this place. He created this place to dwell amongst his creation. So he's not gone. And when I hear people, and I, I have to kind of do this, when I hear people say God is in control, well, yeah, he was in control through World War One, World War Two, the massacre of Mao, the massacre of Pol Pot, the massacre of, of uh, the Young Turks and the Armenians, certainly Hitler. Yeah, he was in charge with all those things, but all those things happened. And the one thing that wasn't happening in every one of those was the principles of the Torah, the gospel message. All of those things were missing in a time of tyranny, chaos, and horrible, horrible government rule. Yeah, so I, interesting. A couple of points here. Uh, you know, I think it's almost criminal for people to not do their own research, considering what we have at our fingertips. There's been no time in human history that where a people had access to so much information and scholarship. So we're without excuse in this period of time for not doing our own. Now, we, it, it, it's wise to, um, to be accountable to somebody, you know, because you know, we can yeah. all go off half-baked and, you know, 
I try to keep myself accountable to to a number of people who can tell me, you know what, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. You know, I wouldn't teach that if I were you. You know, things like that. But we uh, there's just the we have so much material. Secondly, you know the 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 Pharaoh in our Exodus story perfectly encapsulates not just the heart of tyrants, but the heart of mankind, because human nature does not change. God does not change, but human nature does not change. And we're in this mess because of our nature. You know, God just didn't wave a magic wand and make everything awful. Okay? We've been brought to this point because of our actions, of because how of how we walk. So it's very interesting when we read through the, the plagues of Egypt and every, you know, so often it says, Adonai hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And there's a lot of debate about that. So we have to step back for a moment and understand the world of Pharaoh. So, for instance, in Egypt, Pharaoh owned everything, okay? It's not like all these people here in America today owned their houses and lived in different parts of Egypt and, you know, moved around and did whatever. Pharaoh owned everything. He owned the land, he owned the Nile River, he owned it all, okay? And so there's a battle going on, really, essentially between Yahweh, God, and Pharaoh, who is a god, and his gods. There's a there's a battle between the two. This is very common in the ancient world where you see ancient Near East gods fighting uh, each other um, to have dominion over the sea. So, for example, Baal would fight Yom. Uh, you have Marduk that fought against Tiamat. You have Yahweh fighting Leviathan. You remember the Leviathan is the sea monster? This is common. So we're having this same battle here. And so... When it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, the word in there isn't, if you actually go look at it, it's chazak, which means strengthened. Yes. You're going, okay, God strengthened Pharaoh's heart. What does that, that mean? It basically is, is, is saying that Pharaoh was making himself stronger than Yahweh. Okay, in this battle between the two, he was making himself stronger. So as he was making himself stronger, saying, no, you cannot leave, you are my slaves, I need you for my economical purposes, in my, you know, if I lose all these slave labor, my country is going to, you know, to pot, basically. And so God, with each one, is saying, you know, I am stronger, I am. So, for example, you get to the, the plague of darkness, of course, who's the, the god over the, uh, the, the god Ra, is the, the, the god of the sun, well, Ra was unable to do anything because the darkness was so thick over the land you could cut it with a knife. And so bit by bit, though Pharaoh's rising up and, and, and strengthening himself, declaring himself to be stronger than, than God, with each of these uh, plagues, God is showing himself to be stronger than... And what does God leave Pharaoh with? If you think about it, I mean, Pharaoh controls the economy through his temple um, institutions and his, you know, which is where his government is, etc. He controls everything. So the Nile River is number one for their economy and the, and what the land would produce. And so bit by bit, God is destroying their entire economy. So the the, the Nile turns to blood. They can't do anything. Fish are all dying. It's disgusting. You know, 
the frogs come in and the locusts eat everything and the hail destroys everything and the boils on the cattle. Bit by bit, God is destroying the main God of Egypt, which is the God of, of, of money and, and economy and commerce. And by the end, he destroys the one thing that... So when I talk about decreation, I'm also talking about terms like exile and death, flood, disorder, chaos. The death of the seed is a perfect example of decreation and chaos. And so what does God do? In response to what Pharaoh did in chapter 1 to destroy all the baby boys, now God is saying all of your son, the firstborn of the womb, and starting with Pharaoh, your heir will be snuffed out and you will have no seed and dynasty to go on after this. And so he's taken the final thing. There's nothing to produce. Everything is gone. And so it's just this, this conflict is between these two entities and God's just going, he's just taking all of what Pharaoh worshipped and all that kept that empire held it up and he took it all out. And this was a time when Pharaoh was crushing, crushing the hopes and dreams of Israel. So when we talk about, uh, you know, dark days ahead, yeah, we have a world empire, and I love how uh, Joe Armand has been teaching about empires, and Dina, you, you touched on the last show. We have a world empire that is raising its fist against God Almighty, and uh, it's, it's kind of like a replay between God and Pharaoh, because what's going to happen? Well, God always destroys the economy. He always destroys. What ultimately happens is an invading army comes in and wipes out everything. And so we need, to, we need to be careful, those of us who believe in the God of the Bible, to understand how he governs, what he does. And, and I want to say something about all these gods in the ancient world. Every god outside of Yahweh was the figment of men. It was the creation of a man who wanted to be power, over, wanted to lord over people. So there was only one God ever, but when a man decided in order to control the masses, he had to become a God. Now he was no longer a common person, and so we see this whole thing, and every single time that happened, it happened through a political government structure of a long line of family members who were corrupt and wanted to control the people, and they did it by force, they did it by uh, oppression, and they did it by taking away what God wanted all of humanity to have, and that was freedom. Dina, we're just uh, we're just about out of time. I'll live, I'll give you the last word on uh, on our program today. So, uh, in in we have gone through the um, the Torah portion bow. We have the locust, the darkness, and of course the the slaying, the death of the of the firstborn. This is really big. Because, again, that's in response to what happened in Genesis 1, in which Pharaoh is going to just, you know, kill off the baby boys. Now God is responding and taking away the heirs and, uh, the, you know, the, the, the corrupt dynasty that's going to uh, continue on. And then in, after that, um, just before we get to the, uh, the chapter 12, we see that God redeems the firstborn sons. It's very uh-huh. interesting. And in preparation for that, now we move into the to the restoral of the of, of the covenant once again. This is the whole process 
of recreation. Recreation is not fun, okay, folks? It's going to be a challenge. Now, I don't want to leave without some words of encouragement and, and what we can do. Um, I just, one of the main things, at the point that we're at now, we must find ways to disengage from the leftist culture, okay? This thing is going to drown, smother, and, and you know, take us out. So how are we going, how are we going to do that? And we absolutely must do it. So I was listening to a guy yesterday on War Room, and uh, he's a, a political activist named Scott Pressler, but one of the things that, the first thing he said is, first thing you can do is have a lot of babies. And I laughed because I was talking to Michael, my husband, earlier in the day, and I said, you know, obviously this is a generational thing. This ain't going to happen tomorrow or even in five, four years, you know what I'm saying? But I said, the left does not produce life, okay? It kills it off. And so if our side just had a whole lot of babies, you know, if families had lots of children going forward, that in itself, you know, in, in a number of generations will you know, hopefully take out, uh, take them all, take them all out. But, um, the other thing is for, fa for families, like I'm in a community, my husband and I are, are the oldest in the community. I think there's, when we all meet, there's maybe a hundred, 120 of us. And, you know, not everyone's there every week. But out of that, I want to say there's at least 60 to 70 kids. I mean, I'm going, okay, you guys, check box. You got that one down. All of them are homeschooled. <laughs> Check box. You got that one down, folks. You have no. There is no other option now but to homeschool your kids. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I never said that, you know, 20 years ago, but I'm saying that now. You have no other option. Um, third is you've got to build your community, or whatever it is, how small it is. Just you've got that is you're going to be your place, your haven, your safe haven, your place of safety. Now, I'm not saying you do all this and it guarantees nothing's going to happen to you because this is going to be a tough road to hoe because they are, uh, that, that sort of economic um, warfare coming against us to prevent us from banking and buying, you know, and doing all that. I understand that. But within your community, you need to begin to set up a structure where you can buy and sell amongst yourselves or that you have places where, you know, that you know small businesses that need your help. So, for example, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. She said just kind of down the road from us here out in the boondocks is a ranch where we can go buy meat. So, you know, you need to learn where those places are. You need to pull yourself as best you can out of all of that giant big corporation, uh, big tech structure. So, for example, for me, you know, when I heard they went after Mike Lindell, my pillow guy who's been supporting the president Trump and who's invested millions and millions of dollars to expose the election fraud and Bed Bath and Beyond canceled his contract. Uh so did places around the globe. So I immediately went on and bought towels. Okay. They're more expensive. I don't care. I'm going to sh I'm going the only control I have over my my money is I'm going to exercise my right. I mean, it may come to the point, and I've said this before, you can't buy anything. But I, again, if you, you build up your communities, this is, I, I just can't tell you how important it is. Now, that doesn't mean you go off the grid and live in isolation in a cave. We're not talking about that. You still must engage what's going on. So in my state, 
Monday in any, well, I don't know if you hear this before it happens, but the most egregious abortion bill is coming up in a Senate committee, and they're going to ram it through, I'm, I'm pretty sure. But the call went out. We must call. We must email. We must involve ourselves. Because if we don't do anything, they're going to ram through everything. And they may do it anyways, but they need to know we are out here. And we are not stopping and we are not giving up. That is the message we need to send to them. So please don't uh, disengage yourself from everything. Stay involved. Stay. Know what's going on. And, uh, and you know, do what you have to do. And if you join our On Fire Prayer teams, uh, just go to onfireprayer.com. Join us. And I will keep you, you know, I keep everybody posted what's going on and and what, what action we can take along with prayer to make a difference, to change things. So that's my best shot at it. And, and just, uh, just you, you stirred something in me. You stirred something in me. You know, the ideal of your salvation is, and I love how Joe Amond says, your obligation, your, your salvation is actually the beginning of your obligation. And so, you know, God said, go out, be fruitful, and multiply. Uh, long before there was a nation of Israel, he was talking to the people that would honor his government and honor what he's trying to do. And so this is not time to take a back seat. This is not time to let somebody tell you what to think. This is time for you to do your own research, to do your own studying, and to go back and understand what the kingdom of God is all about. Because the moment you accepted the blood covenant, you became a citizen of that kingdom. And as a citizen, you have an obligation to represent the laws, the statutes, and the commandments that govern order. So God bless you guys. Dina, that's it. We're done. Uh, we'll see you next time. All right. Shalom. Shalom, everybody. Bye-bye.